Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I want to consider with you a question today. And that question is, is the ending of the life of an unborn baby ever justified? Now, most of the people that I know who say they are Christians oppose abortion and believe it to be murder. And so do I. However, I have been disturbed by what I perceive as a steadily changing attitude among some who wear the name of Christ. More and more frequently I'm hearing evidence of the influence of the world in the thinking of individuals who call themselves Christians. Is the ending of the life of an unborn baby ever justified? First of all, there are a few points that need to be established. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 we find, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. All human beings are created in the image of God. Indeed, that is what makes man absolutely unique in the creation of God. No other part of God's creation possesses such worth and value simply by virtue of being. At what point in the developmental process does the child become in the image of God? Is it at conception? Is it sometime during the gestation period? Is it when the child is born or perhaps when the child reaches its first birthday? Being made in the image of God is what makes a human being human. Thus the importance of the question we're considering, when does a developing child become human? I believe that the Bible gives us the answer. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 we read the following. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. This passage declares that God knew Jeremiah and consecrated him before he was born. Now that is hardly indicative of an inhuman mass of tissue that at some point would become human. Much to the contrary, it indicates that God viewed Jeremiah as a distinct person, a human being, while in his mother's womb. But that's not all. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, we find the following. Thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The whole psalm has as its theme the inescapable presence of God. 
It shows that no matter where we go, we cannot flee from God. He knows and is aware, and this knowledge and awe awareness extends even into the womb. It is a knowledge best described as personal. We can note that David used the first-person pronouns in the psalm, I, me, and my. As he penned this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is apparent that David regarded God to have been at work with him personally, as a distinct human being developing within his mother's womb. He was not viewed as an inhuman mass of tissue that at some later point in time would become human. There are many other passages to which we could turn that would make the very same point. We could examine Job chapter 10 verses 9 through 12 and the fascinating meeting of two unborn children when the pregnant Mary brought the child Jesus into the home of her pregnant cousin Elizabeth. We could write of the very human emotion displayed by the unborn John within his mother's womb. All of that is found in Luke chapter 1 verses 39 to 45. But let us consider this question. From the moment of conception to the time of birth, what has been added to that child that was not there in the beginning? From the moment of conception, all that the child needs is proper nourishment and a safe environment in which to grow. At conception, the genetic code is present and God is aware. This is another human being made in his image. I tell you what, strange sounds are being heard from people who call themselves Christians and they begin to talk about give me my rights and the incessant clamoring of the pro-abortion forces are having an effect. From the mouths of a small but growing number of Christians comes the distressing idea that they are personally opposed to abortion but would never deny anyone else the right to make that choice. I believe that such a statement is a statement of a coward afraid or ashamed to take a stand. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 24 verses 10 through 12, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? When brethren make the kind of statement that the world is winning and they have the answer for such an attitude, we have to do serious consideration. Occasionally I hear a brother or sister argue that while they are opposed to abortion, it is a different matter altogether when the pregnancy is the result of rape. I've always found it interesting that our society has generally determined that a guilty rapist is not subject to the death penalty for his crime, yet allows the innocent child that is conceived as a result of that rape to be executed. The only one whose rights are not considered in such circumstances is the unborn child. The Bible clearly shows that God considers a developing child to be a person a human being. What possible justification can there be for dealing with one crime by committing another? Terminating the life of the child would be murder. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 and 22, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, 
And whoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus not only condemned murder, he condemned the very heart that would permit it. There is yet another position that some Christians are taking lately. They say that if the mother's life is in danger, should the pregnancy continue, and the baby is going to die anyhow, then a medical procedure would be in order to end the life of the baby and yet permit the mother to live. Others simply say that if the life of the mother is in danger if she continues to carry the baby, then ending the life of the unborn child is justified. I do not believe either of those situations justifies the killing of a baby. One would wonder, how is the life of the baby going to be ended? Will it be by suction or by DNC? In each method, the baby is going to be cut to pieces inside the mother and either suctioned out or removed piece by piece. Or maybe it will be by poisoning. Will a large needle filled with a concentrated salt solution be inserted into the baby's ambiotic sac and released? The poisoned baby will die a horrible death and the next day be delivered by the mother. It might even be called a candy apple baby because that salt solution will have burned away the baby's outer layer of skin and the dead baby will be bright red. Perhaps it will be by cesarean section. If that is the case, the baby will simply be removed through the abdominal wall and discarded along with the placenta. What if the baby's going to die anyhow, comes the argument. Shouldn't you save the mother? Allow me to present the following scenario. Suppose we have a terminally ill person who is going to die anyhow and has done nothing wrong except gotten sick. We also have an individual who has a failing heart and will die if he doesn't receive a transplant. Is anyone justified in killing the terminally ill person who is going to die anyhow in order to use the heart to save another? If someone says, well, that is different, the only difference is location and age. The baby is in the womb while the other is out. Is the person outside of the womb more of a person or more human than the baby in the womb? If you justify the ending of that child's life to save the mother, you are saying that one is worth more than the other or that one is more human than the other. Any action taken that would purposely end the life of that child before his or her death comes naturally would be murder. If I were a pro-abortionist, I would love to have a Christian make such an argument in a debate because the debate would be mine. Who has the right to place value on life? Who has the right to say that the mother's life is worth more than the baby's? There are things that are more important than life, my friends. I believe it is never justified to end the life of an unborn baby.